Hi everyone and welcome to episode 14 of the Kitmag podcast. As you know, Volume 3 is available to pre-order now with that amazing Ajax cover. We've got some brilliant stuff inside from the guys at Spark Academy. Classic football shirts have given us massive access to their vault and their thoughts and opinions on football shirts, so keep watching out for that across our thread. So there's no fancy little intro from me this week. I'm a little bit like Eamon and Ruth dropping in on a Friday on this morning or Ron and Keaton dropping into the one show. I'm in the uh, the host chair after a little while out. So it's good to see everyone again and hope everyone's enjoyed listening while I've been away. Obviously, if you're just coming back on for me, I'll be back on again in about episode 19. So just save this one and that one, maybe listen to them back to back to get you to the that week. So it's nice to be back and let's hear what you're wearing. Tom, what are you up to? So day of record today is a huge, huge day because the mighty Sutton United, forget Chelsea, they're yesterday's news. Sutton United are at Wembley today, taking on Rotherham in the Papa John's Trophy, that esteemed competition. So today I'm wearing the current Sutton United third shirt, which is a special one because it has the name of my granddad in the pattern of the shirt on the back. And he'll be sat next to me today at Wembley giving the linesman dogs abuse. The only difference is now they can't hear him in that massive stadium. Good to see Chelsea playing Sutton in the Pizza Cup when they've been put out of business in the next couple of years <laughs> for being dodgy in Russia. Alex, what are you wearing? Well, yesterday saw the return of a packed Westfalen stadium or Signal Iduna Park. Didn't all go very well. This is a tribute to happier times. So the 95-96 home when Dortmund won the league. That typical neon decontinental combo last year's neon fourth was based on. I think we need to check that you aren't adding years to the 90s there, Alex, because surely this Dortmund 90s collection is going to run out soon. Uh, Still a couple left and still a couple to get. I'm playing it safe. I've, you know, the safe hands were needed to guess the podcast. So I'm actually wearing a goalkeeper shirt today. I've got my elbow pads on as well, just in case I upset anyone. And I've got a, a nice little patch to catch the ball to. I'm wearing Middlesbrough's 94-95 area goalkeeper shirt when Brian Robson took over, Borough won the league and got back in the Premier League to start playing at the Riverside. So yeah, it's a pretty good shirt, especially for a goalkeeper one. Without further ado, we're going to head into the news. We've got Dortmund saying Danker for no real reason. We've got Milan adding to their Puma third classic shirt. Adrian, if you're out there listening, classic third shirt with another one. And I'll be taking on Fiorentina's fourth shirt design. So, Alex, tell us why Dortmund were saying Danker to their fans. Dortmund are covertly becoming the new Napoli. I haven't got the exact total. I think... Andy from Forbidden Shirts is working on it, so hopefully we'll see something next week. But this might be the 20th or 21st shirt that was used this season, or at least conceived by Dortmund. So it's the home shirt. I think it's the fourth version, including sort of minor tweaks. There was the Ukraine version. There's also a rainbow version, one in the match against Bayern. 
So on this shirt, there's a graphic on the front. It says Danko, and it's made up of the 978 fan clubs that are scattered around the world. So it's a tribute to the fans who've supported the club, despite not being able to fill the stadium. And this was released and worn yesterday against RB Leipzig in a match when the Westfalen Stadium was full for the first time since the start of the pandemic. Great off the pitch. If you can catch any of the videos, usual atmosphere was back there. Very emotional for a lot of fans. On the pitch, it was a bit of a disaster as BFLB lost 4-1 and effectively ended slim hopes of picking up a title. It's available on the website, I think £55 or so if you're feeling flush and three versions of the shirt aren't enough. It was great to see the the stadium back and, and rocking the famous yellow wall or at least until the 60th minute mark when they all got up and left. (laughs) When is it going to end, all this stuff with extra shirts and special edition shirts? It does seem like it used to just be you got a bit of embroidery if you got to a cup final or something like that, but it just seems like it's absolutely endless at the moment, doesn't it? And I think the Dortmund one, it was a bit... It wasn't the most subtle way of saying thank you, was it, with that giant Danker panel on the shirt? I think it's a nice idea. I suppose the whole collection has been exaggerated by the fact that BFLB took this negative feedback about the shirt and reworked it twice. So you've got effectively four extra shirts from the away, actually six because there was a goalkeeper version as away. So there's six extra versions because they listened to the fans and made the shirts more acceptable. And also there are a couple of versions where there are only slight differences in the graphic these special editions and some of them weren't available the rainbow wasn't available this year I think it was only last year it was commercially available so it's maybe not quite Napoli extremes in terms of the overall thing but certainly numbers are adding up to a similar amount and are we that convinced by the designs on these Dortmund shirts to be changing them this many times and I appreciate that they've listened to the fans but I'm not sure these shirts are going to go down as classics even in the modern era really and I think that if we're starting to get into the realms of just making little tweaks to shirts that aren't even that good then you know God help us all. I mean if they've got over 900 fan clubs there's definitely a market there isn't there? <laughs> so I guess... all got 10 in each. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. I'm sure there's solitary fan clubs out there too. So, But as long as they get their name on the shirt, I have to admit, I, I agree with Alex. I think that these thank you shirts where you put supporter names or club names on the shirts, I do think they are quite a nice touch. They, they certainly make it more personal, even for if you was part of one of those clubs or your name was featured, you'd, you'd definitely purchase just for the novelty value, wouldn't you? Yeah, so there's a couple of friends of the pod. Uh, so Zaheen, who people might know, has uh, he runs the BFLB Malaysia fan club, also Glasgow Borussian. Their fan clubs are featured on a home shirt. I mean, that's, you know, you're definitely going to pick one of those up. And it's a nice thing for many of the fan clubs do a lot of work. They arrange trips, they arrange social events and so on. So it's nice kind of recognition to be permanently part of the, the club's kit history. Maybe that's where Puma missed the trick and they should have just embedded everybody's names in those Puma third shirts and they would have sold out like hotcakes. Speaking of Puma, Milan have got another shirt out, a fourth shirt. Tom, do you want to tell us a little bit more about that one? Yeah, so Puma, they're really taking over this year, aren't they? We seem to talk about them every every week in the news or by some other format, but this has been really controversial, it seems, on Twitter anyway. A lot of people haven't liked this, but... Milan have released a fourth shirt, which isn't uncommon at all these days. You know, clubs do fourth shirts all the time. 
And what they've done is they've collabed with uh, a Milan-based fashion brand called Neiman. And the, the, the designer, the guy that heads up this brand, is a huge AC Milan fan. So his team have designed a whole array of gear for AC Milan, which includes a full shirt. There's loads of leisure wear and stuff like that, like and from jackets too, which is going to be released or may have already been released, I think. And again, it's kicks up a fuss just because of the design element. What we've seen is a basic AC Milan home strip, but it's kind of protruding from beneath a white scratched off panel almost. So the, the bottom and the top is like a frosted white effect. And it's like you've scratched it with a penny on a scratch card. And underneath is the Milan home shirt peeking through. And I, I actually am a, a huge fan of the design. I think people are being far too critical of it because what we're seeing is that the black and red stripes and people are thinking of it as a home shirt. And they're saying, well, a home shirt shouldn't be messed with, but it's not a home shirt. It's a full shirt. So that kind of design extravagance and, and, and taking a risk with it should be accepted or allowed. And if there is any club in the world that's going to take advantage of, of collabs with fashion brands, it's got to be one of the two Milan teams because that city is infatuated and ingrained with fashion houses and fashion shows and, and statements. So I, I, I'm all for it personally. Do you know, what? I actually, I actually love this shirt. I think it's really, I think it's really, really good. Yeah. When I first saw it, searching onto us, I think was it was it April the first it got released. It did. They, yeah. It so that out. didn't help. No, there was, yeah, I know there were some leaks before, it, but I genuinely thought it was an April Fool at first. I thought, well, hang on a minute, this is actually pretty good. And do you know, what? I actually think underneath would, it would be great for Puma if they just released the shirt that's like underneath the white as the home shirt next year. Because I think the yeah. thin stripes work really well. The little Puma logo with the little line underneath, the sort of what looks like a transparent badge, but it's just like the white outline of the Milan badge on the shirt. I really, really like it. Not 100% convinced with the white shorts and white socks as a bit of a, you know, the full kit sort of thing. And the wee fox is a bit dodgy on the back, but, you know. <laughs> You're supposed to get used to bad sponsors on modern shirts. But I actually think it's, I think it's really, really good. And if you're going to do a collaboration like you said tom it's really sort of embedded in the culture of milan with the blue and black uh, blue and black the red and black <laughs> but i do think it's got that little bit something else as well i actually really really like it i think it's really good well i have to say it was actually uh la brigitte on twitter who's a huge inter milan collector it was him that pointed out to me that that fact of you know this is a fourth shirt, not a home shirt, which he felt people were judging too harshly on. And I mean, if you've got an Inter Milan fan saying that he likes it, design must be pretty solid. You know, I, I think they're great. I agree with you. I think the whole look, the shorts maybe could do with a little bit more embellishing, maybe a similar kind of effect, at least around the, the club crest, maybe. But I, I think it's it's really striking. And yeah, like we were all four clubs having fun with these fourth shirts, I think. Yeah, I think we're all taking advantage of Adrian being away today because I don't think he was a, a huge fan. He would have given some balance to that. But I, I'm the same as you. I really like it. I think it's innovative. The only thing that I think's missing is there isn't an obvious link to kind of an event. I mean, with it being, I, th- I think, like a snow-themed, wintery, festive kind of thing, I would have thought this would work as a winter kit, which some clubs have released, or Christmas kit, that that would have kind of been more a logical link to it. But as you say, it's it's bold, it's something different. As a four shirt, I, I really like it. But I imagine our Twitter feed and replies, it's going to say something different tomorrow. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because I, I think the um, the AC Milan third shirt in the Puma template is really, really good as well. I've got that, and it looks it looks great. So I think this is a decent addition. But all those people out there who think they're better than actual professional football shirt designers, Fiorentina are another team who are giving you the chance to design a football shirt. So this shirt is for 2022-23. So that's next season if you're keeping up. And Kappa have given you a totally blank template with the sponsor and that dodgy new Fiorentina badge on it. And it kind of looks like the Kappa shirts from the early 2000s, so think the Italy national team shirt. But there's quite a few rules that go with it. So you're not allowed to have purple or green. You can also use more than three colours, as long as you haven't got one that's really dominant. Sorry, as long as one is dominant. You can have circles, stripes, bands, checks, anything you want. But there's quite a lot in it in terms of you can't change the shape, you can't change the logos, the kappa, the sponsor, all that sort of stuff, which I think probably as fans, we don't realise these designers are actually getting before they're allowed to design. When you hear our feature uh, for this episode, you'll get a little insight into that design process. And I think sometimes we say, oh, you need to have this and you need to have this design and you need to have this retro throwback but a lot of these designers we don't realize they've got such tight constraints and i think it's quite interesting that the composition rules for this kind of wide open fan design sort of thing reflects that a little bit but if you were going to design a fiorentina shirt boys what sort of colors would you be going for i personally quite like the red and white sort of theme that you've had from fiorentina in the past but any other ideas I totally agree with you, Rob. I think that red, purple, white accents combo works really well, thinking back to Nintendo and so on. So, yeah, definitely go for that. I think that would be the iconic choice. It's really nice, isn't it, this idea that more and more power is being put over. This has been a common thing that a lot of smaller clubs have done, and it's a good way to gain some exposure. But also when you've got big clubs, we've got BFLB and now Fiorentina in the space of a couple of months putting out a shirt design completely to the fans. Hopefully it'll inspire a few more clubs to do the same. And I think also what we'll learn is, like you said, a bit more about the design process that, again, it's great seeing these fantastic wild concepts. But there's probably a good reason why they don't make it to the street because of production or other design considerations. And hopefully we get a window in on on that sort of thing. So is this going to be the home shirt? Is that what's being designed? Fourth. The fourth shirt? Ah, okay, so you do have a bit more free reign then. Yeah. Oh, I'd slap a massive Super Mario on the front of it then. (laughs) Those shirts might become valuable again. (laughs) Yeah, and they'll finally be real as well. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I don't know, what's the modern equivalent? If we were to to jazz it up and make a modern version of that, it'd be a Fortnite Fortnite character, yeah. Slap a Fortnite character on the front. That would sell massively as well. You know it would. We need to do a little thread on like computer game tie-ins or movie tie-ins or something like that. There's obviously the famous Atletico one. And I can't remember the team now, but who's the team who've got who've just signed a deal with a, a film company to have the same sort of thing with Atletico? I can't remember who it is now. But yeah, anyway, there's a team I'm sure is going to have different sponsors every month or something like that linked to some um, to some movie concepts. I know we've got Barca who are having Spotify, aren't they? So it's music, but again, it's going to be artists that are presented in, in the yeah. home show. So that's going to be really interesting to see. I wonder whether they'll be released as commercial versions again and we might be breaking Napoli and BVB's record next year. I know they're going to yeah, be running out to money, money, money by ABBA because they're bloody yeah, good. And then, then <laughs> when, when you get your Spotify unwrapped at the end of the year, you'll get a link to the Barcelona fan store so that you can get your top 10 like printed on the back or something ridiculous like that, won't it? Money, money, money. Must be funny. 
So now we're moving on to our main feature with the former Global Director of Football at Reebok. I'm joined by Flying Scotty, Scott Anderson. We have a very special guest with us today on KitPod. Glenn, maybe you can introduce yourself. Yeah, I'm Glenn Joyce. I was the former global director of soccer, as they called it, but football for Reebok International. I worked for Reebok for just over 10 years. Started off as assistant brand manager on the sports department. So I was responsible for basically looking after the teams and and the the players that that Reebok had. And we had had a stable of about 70 footballers at one stage that we supplied boots to. And of course, back then, it was only only Bolton Wanderers and... Lancaster City that we made the kit for <laughs> and of course Lancaster City because we were based in the city of Lancaster so it was more, more of a community thing than that but yeah Bolton Wanderers was I think where really well where Reebok was established it was founded there in 1895 but every, everything around Bolton was Reebok and everything around Reebok was Bolton so it was a great relationship we had with them and people still call the stadium the Reebok Stadium. I mistakenly upset Glenn just before the podcast because I thought he was a Bolton fan, but I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, Barra fan, so I have, I'll get my apologies in again. So, Glenn, I believe you were director of football at Reebok, or soccer, as you say, at Reebok, from 93 to 2003. It was soccer on my American business card, and it was football on the rest of the world's business card. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I hate the it, word soccer. Tell us a bit more about what that job t- title meant and what kind of responsibilities you had. Yeah. Oh, wow. Where do you start with that job? It, it, it encompassed everything within within the football category. So I worked as or helped, we worked, worked with the, the design director, but I helped manage the design team. I worked with the guys in the States and the Far East on the product side. So both kit manufacturing and football boot manufacturing. Football boot manufacturing and design took over a lot of the job because once we became established as a major football brand that became a separate entity as well but I was still heavily involved not only in the UK but around the world as well just getting the Reebok name out there and working with all sorts of people you know right from the players through to federation presidents club chairman club commercial managers club kit men who are a different kettle of fish entirely the club kit man yeah it, it was it encompassed everything right from like I say the initial research and development and concept stage of a team's kit right through to the final production of it. So how much design, in terms of just talking about kits specifically and thinking more on the international side, how much design freedom were you given? I mean, obviously the, the colours are pretty, the home colours are pretty set in stone, but, you know, did, did federations give you really strict guidelines or did you guys, you know, could you go with whatever you wanted, thought looked good? We were the sort of brand that was getting into boardrooms for the discussion because we were seen as as new and exciting. So, yeah, we, we were given a certain amount of license. There were certain times where we were held back a little bit. I always remember Bolton Wanderers have this devout hatred of Manchester United. <laughs> so we were religiously told we could never include red in a Bolton Wanderers kit apart from a flash on a sleeve or of course the red roses on their badge but we could never produce a red kit as such eventually we were allowed to we, we, we convinced them that they've got to be bold they've got to be future thinking they've got to get this monkey off their shoulder and we produced around about i think 93 94 possibly i think the listeners will probably look this up and correct me but we did produce a red and blue striped away kit 
and it became Bolton Wanderers' best-selling kit. Oh, wow. um, so it so it shows you that perhaps the the thoughts and the fear in the boardroom wasn't so much replicated down on the uh, on the terraces. We're creatures of habit, football shirt collectors and football fans, aren't we? I think that's the thing. <laughs> Undoubtedly. Have you got any stories that you could tell us of perhaps design ideas that you tried to implement and you were just told outright that cannot happen or we cannot put that on a shirt? Um, Aston Villa was always an interesting one to work with because Doug Ellis was in charge and uh, God bless him. Doug was a hard man to deal with, a really tough guy to deal with. The first time we went into Aston Villa for the negotiations, we knew what we were going to offer. We knew what we wanted and we knew it was a big club, a big fan base. The Villa fans, they're everywhere. We were given certain guidelines where you can't do this and can't do that. But as as time went on, we finally got the contract. That was a signing and a half. We signed the contract at around about half 11 in the evening in the boardroom at, uh, at Villa Park. Doug then invited us into his office for a, a glass of whiskey, which... I can't stand whiskey. I'm sure this whiskey was probably worth about three grand a bottle. He poured us all a drink and he sat us all down. He said, cheers. Now let's just go back to that bonus schedule again. And it was a, it was a look on everybody's face of just like, we're so tired and drawn. Anyway, it, it, it got clear. But Doug was the sort of person that was very proud of his club, run that club like he owned it, which he did. And there was one little thing that happened, which sticks in my mind. I think it was the 95 Coca-Cola Cup final. And if any Villa fans out there have got the the commemorative shirt for the final, you'll notice it doesn't say on it Coca-Cola Cup final, it says League Cup final. Doug Ellis would not have Coca-Cola's name on his shirt for free, and they wouldn't pay him any money, even though they were the sponsors of the Cup. So you often, you know, you, you, you saw, as a Borough fan, when we, we beat Bolton, the Millennium, our shirts for the final had Coca-Cola with the logo on there. But Doug Ellis wouldn't have that because Coca-Cola wouldn't pay him any money to do it. <laughs> True businessman. <laughs> True businessman, yeah. But uh, like I said, you, you'll, have, you'll have Villa fans out there be looking at the wardrobes now and think, <laughs> I never actually noticed that. You have to just say <laughs> League Cup final and not Coca-Cola. I mean, you must have worked on an absolute ton of kits in in the nineties, especially. And you must be pretty proud that your name is associated with some of the best kits. I mean, the nineties is a generation that stands out amongst collectors as being yeah. arguably the best. So, I mean, do you have any achievements that you're really proud of that you you made or or you you uh, worked on whilst you you were at Reebok? Yeah, I like. Um, I always thought we were pretty. We, we, we were seen as groundbreaking when we brought Liverpool in our first season, Liverpool away kit in Ecru, uh, the cream with the black shorts. And we, and we took it back to a retro. So the Ecru kit was based behind us going back in history with Liverpool. And traditionally, Liverpool, Liverpool played in red at home, white, black, white, away. We just wanted, as, as chefs often say, we wanted to put a twist on that white and the twist was this colour that no one had heard of that was was Ecru. And weirdly enough, of course, the first game of the season in the Premier League as, as Liverpool's sponsor was at the Riverside Stadium in Middlesbrough. So I had the idea to 
get into the press box. I placed a card on every commentator's desk that said, today Liverpool will be playing in Ecru. <laughs> Exclamation mark. And I remember it was the commentator match of the day used it. John Motson used it. I think it was John Motson. And I heard it on the radio as well. And it, yeah, it's, so, so Ecru was, that was the proudest one because we just took it to the next level. We brought uh, David James's goalkeeper kit was probably the plainest, most boring goalkeeper kit you could imagine. <laughs> but it, but it, it was trying to replicate the kit that Ray Clements wore many years ago. So, unfortunately, I can't, I can't say that I worked with a Middlesbrough kit. I would love to have worked with a Middlesbrough kit. We did have a negotiation with Middlesbrough, and I was possibly on the verge of bursting, thinking that I could be managing the deal for the Middlesbrough kit. As it turns out, I think I think we were used to get more money off the existing sponsor who actually stayed that year, which was... Um, Area. Ah, so mm, that's, yeah. so Rob, they're his favourite kits, aren't they, Scott? I think those are real ones. He loves those. But what may have been? I mean, yeah, that was a what may have been. Yeah, great. I was always busy when Sunderland and Newcastle formed. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I, was ne- I was never going to get into negotiations with either of those two. <laughs> a big standout for me is the is World Cup '98. You had some. Not only did you have some a couple of great kits but you also had some amazing players that wore the Reebok kits I mean I, I just shared a shirt yesterday on Twitter that was a, a Valderrama shirt but my, yeah. my standout favourite is the Chile shirt I love the how you incorporated the Reebok logo onto the shoulders of that shirt it's just it's such a monumental Reebok shirt it, it is and we almost didn't so let's go back to France 98 the first game for Chile was I think against Italy and they wore that iconic kit with the, the vector, the white vector across the, the chest. That's what we, we called it, the vector. A week later, Chile were playing Austria in, in Paris. It was, I think, a Wednesday night, that game. On the Sunday, I get a phone call from the guy who was head of what they call kit control kit regulations from FIFA in my hotel room saying that Chile would not be allowed to wear that kit because it contravenes advertising, FIFA's advertising rules. Hmm. So we sat there three days away from the second game in Group B or whatever it was at the World Cup, thinking, well, the away kit's the same. It's just a blue <laughs> version of it with a white texture across the chest. So I'm, I'm making phone calls back to the UK explaining this. We've also got, or I had, around the world, different people who would focus on certain areas. So if we, if we were looking for a, a club or a federation in South America, we'd phone Henry in California. Henry was South American, obviously spoke the language, spoke Portuguese and Spanish fluently, and he was our contact over there. And Henry was possibly one of the most connected men in football I've ever met. (laughs) Henry was about 70, 75, something like that, but knew everybody, knew anything. So the call went out to Henry, and of course, back then, mobile phones weren't really, you know, like like they are now, and the time differences, etc. So we get a a call to, to Henry, in the meantime, I've also spoke to uh, Reebok UK that we might have a problem here. We, we might need to find a kit. So the buttons were pressed and the machine started rolling in the UK and waiting for Henry to come back, explain to him, and can he has he got any contact, etc. We get all the Henry, Henry says, leave it with me. This won't happen. And um, as, it, as it turns out, to cut a long story short, it was Tuesday afternoon, which we were literally ready to ship Bolton Wanderers kits with a chilly badge on wow. from the from the UK to Paris for the game on the Wednesday night. We got a phone call on the Tuesday, Tuesday lunchtime, so it would have been 
early morning in, in the US. Um, it'll have been probably middle of the night for Henry because he was in California. He said, I've spoken to Joseph and Chile can wear the kit tomorrow night. There'll be no more problems. And Joseph was, of course, Sepp Blatter. <laughs> so so a very well-connected man, then, Henry. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. <laughs> so he literally just phoned Seth Blatter and said, this can't happen, Seth. And, and, it, and it didn't, but it could have been, yeah, Chile could have been playing in Bolton Wanderers' kit. That's amazing. So we could have seen Marcelo Salas, Ivan Zamorano, in a Bolton kit in a Bolton World kit. Cup. Yeah. That's yeah. incredible. <laughs> And you, you mentioned, Scotty, you mentioned um, Carlos Valderrama. Yeah. So this is not kit-related, but we made Carlos's boots as well. And I was in Bogota, and the car I was in, we got held up uh, by gorillas, not the animals, not the monkeys, but um, <laughs> actual <laughs> Colombian militia. And it, it, it wasn't a nice experience because we just didn't know what was going to happen until they opened the boot of the car. And there was 12 pairs of Reebok boots with Carlos Valderrama's name on the label on the front. Wow. And he just looked at them, looked at us, and waved us on. That's that's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> so it's a, it, yeah, it's a good job I, we, we had them in the boots, because I don't know, I don't know if I'd, I, I wouldn't have been speaking to you now here, I don't know, <laughs> if we hadn't. So, yeah, it should be a, a name of a podcast. Carlos Val, Valderrama's boots saved my life. <laughs> <laughs> that's the name of this episode. <laughs> you know when you do your fantasy league team you've always got to find a funny name mm. or, or a, a, an unusual name so yeah. over the years I've, I've had Sean Teal's calves <laughs> and, and Ron, Ron Atkinson's fridge so I, the first day, first day of pre-season I get a phone call from Jim Paul who was um, Aston Villa's kit manager down at Bodymore Heath and he said talk in his broomy accent and I picked the phone and we said, Glenn, it's Jim. I saw you, Jim, are you okay? And he went, no, what a problem. <laughs> so I'll cut the Birmingham accent now because it's rubbish. And I said, what's up? He said, it's Sean Teal's calves. And I said, well, is it not the physio you want? And he says, no, he can't get his calves in your socks. <laughs> I said, right, I'll come down tomorrow. Just give him some sports socks for now. So I went down. Unbeknownst for Sean Teal had the large, his, his calves were wider than my thighs. <laughs> And he couldn't get the, our socks past his calf. So it transpires that we had to get Sean Teal's Aston Villa socks, specially made in Portugal, wow. with a, a wider a wider calf on them. <laughs> That's and, mental, isn't it? Bespoke it is socks. mental, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Sean Teal's socks, uh, calves was one of, my, um, one of my other ones. And then the first, I think the first one, Ron Atkinson got sacked at, um, at Villa, I went down to Bodymore Heath to just introduce myself to the new manager, who was John Gregory. And he, the shout at me, he says, yeah, he's in the manager's office. He said, go through. So I went through and he said, uh, here, do you want one of these? I said, what is it? And he opened this mini fridge behind the manager's desk. And there was, I reckon there was 12 bottles of Bollinger. But <laughs> Ron had to clear his desk quite quickly and left behind. <laughs> so not not kit related, but uh, club related. I mean, that's those kind of stories 
they're unbelievable. But you did mention earlier that you had a couple of kit men related stories. We were joined last week by, or a couple of weeks ago, by the Swindon Town kit men, and they were fantastic yeah. guests, gave us a real insight. I mean, maybe you could tell us TikTok a bit more guy. about some of those. Yes, the, the, the Jonah and Steve from TikTok, yeah. Yeah, it, it's quite funny, actually. Kit, kit men, they're a strange bunch. I can remember Jim especially, because I worked a lot with Jim. Bolton didn't really have a kit man as such. It was Ewan Simpson who was Vizio, and he also looked after the kit. So if they wanted new kits, Ewan would phone me. So Bolton didn't really have a kit man at the time. But Jim, Jim at Villa guarded the kit like it was his children's clothes. <laughs> the players had to go in on hands and knees and beg for a, a woolly hat in the winter to train in. And it became the norm at the end of every season that, you know, we, we'd send in there something like... The fans probably don't get this, you know, the listeners won't probably don't get how much kit goes into clubs, but sloggy underpants. So sloggy's the brand and players wear Y fronts. Sloggy is the preferred choice. So even down to a finite detail like that, you know, we'd send in maybe six hundred pairs at the start of every season of these these Y fronts. And they with Villa there'd always be four hundred pairs left, like in <laughs> boxed new. But then Jim would still like get the same order next year. We don't know where these underpants went. I think we had a, he had a market stall in there on New Street or something like that. But uh, it was the same with all the kit. We'd get the end of the season and say, right, Jim, all the new kits arriving a week on Monday, something like that. He'd go, well, you've got to give me more time. I've got to get rid of this stuff first. And it was just boxes and boxes and boxes of untouched, unopened kit. Liverpool, again, didn't, we didn't really deal with, in the first stage, a, a kit guy. There was two two guys there, and excuse me, I forget the names, but Sammy Lee was always closely contacted with, with dealing with kit and that sort mm. of stuff. And I remember getting a phone call that Neil Ruddock wants bigger shorts. That must have been after got... a great pre-season, I reckon. <laughs> yeah. so, well, so, so, so what do you mean he wants bigger shorts? Right, we'll send you we'll send you some more. Right? You've got 36-inch waist down there. Yeah, he needs bigger shorts. He wants 50. Right. 50. We're going to make 50-inch short, 50-inch waist shorts that... They're going to be longer. Yeah, he wants them longer. So if you look at if you look at a picture of, of Razor in that Reebok kit, he's short. You could probably make five children's shirts out of. There was that <laughs> much material used, but that was his way of being a little bit of a prima donna. Razor is a character and a half. He's absolutely tremendous. Oh, I can but, imagine. Um, I'm sure we saw someone like Stephen Gerrard, you know, getting van loads of Adidas stuff sent, and he didn't feel special, so he just thought he'd play the, the short trick. <laughs> I mean, did you do, because this is one of the the kind of, I don't know about myths or legends of the 90s, Scott, you might know a bit more than me, but we've all seen, you know, some of the smaller statured players, like, I don't know, Zola or Paul Scholes even, but they always wore XL shirts, is that right? But did you do just a similar thing with Reebok? It was it was a strange one. There was a time where, and I, I was just doing a little bit of research before I came on about one or two of the shirts, um, and I've always, I've always wondered why the shirts were so big. And I looked at some pictures this afternoon. I thought, oh my God, they're even bigger. Now, you know, now I look. When you compare them to someone like, you know, the, the, the Puma Cameroon spray on mm. all in yeah, one kit, something like that. Yeah, well, and and Italy, of course, were the first to really start doing that with Kappa. They, they made a beautiful skin tight shirt years ago. But yeah, pretty much it was it was one size went in. And that's what the players wore. And there was there was no, well, I want a, a small. No, that's what you get. You're wearing that shirt. Amazing. You saw the size of some of the players. I mean, you obviously had the big boys, like you're saying, Razor and, you know, John Hartson. Those types of boys were big. But when you had the likes of Beckham, 
and Keen. I mean, Keen just looked like it, it looked like a tent on him because they were just, yeah. you know, they were. Sort of, the I mean, same. Owen, yeah. remember Owen when Owen first came on the scene? It, it, he honestly looked like a little boy wearing his dad's t-shirt. It was just <laughs> wearing his dad's t-shirt. He did, yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned earlier, asked earlier about was I particularly proud of? There was one because I'm an ex goalkeeper. I always had a bit more interest in the keepers' kits, mm. and the perfect opportunity to work on that was with Mark Bosnich at Aston Villa. Okay. Bosy was a Reebok sponsored player and we'd got the, the Aston Villa deal and I sat, I sat with him in, in, the, in the Belfry and I said, how do you fancy I get them to design a kit for you? And if you look back, we did, we did do went for it. We didn't tell the board I'd spoken to, but uh, there is a, a, a gold and green Aston Villa goalkeeper kit, which of course Bosy was all over being an Aussie. Fit him with him perfectly didn't it another yeah, another it thing that really stands out for me from you guys in terms of going back to the boots was that the man united treble 1919 you had Giggsy and and coley wore those really nice they had they were the black boots with the like the luminous yellow trim and it almost looked like a, a kevlar style mesh uh, yeah. on the middle of the boot i really that's a big standout for me in terms of reebok this the side the sidewinder well interesting enough scott not factually correct there because Andy Cole left us the week before the Champions League final. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> is it? He'd been with us for, well, since he was on loan at Bristol City from Arsenal. Yeah. And then we got the shout that um, he was going up to, up to Newcastle and, you know, he scored a hatful of Newcastle in, in Reebok boots. And we'd supported him for many, many years. His agent and Andy were keen to negotiate, and we were keen to negotiate, but we just we couldn't reach the figure that we they wanted uh, and that we could offer. He was contracted till the end of June, but his agent Paul Stretford decided that was enough. If we weren't signing with Reebok, then you may as well launch your Nike career on the biggest stage in possibly in world football. Schmeichel also wore our boots in that final, so we had we had gigs in, we had Schmeichel in there. Yeah, Cole went from scoring the league winner at the week at one weekend to the midweek he changed his boots. <laughs> yeah, I think he blacked. I think he blacked the boots out for the last game, the game of the league season. It's something I wiped out of the back of my mind to be honest with you, because it, you get quite connected with with the players and the clubs and that sort of thing. And got to be careful what I say because you know you don't want to say too much on it. But it hurt that I didn't mm. think that was right. We've been we've been with him for about ten years. We put advertising and marketing campaigns behind him we'd, we'd made his boots he had his own boot in the Reebok collection so I think he was I don't think I'm out of turn in saying I think he was out of order no that's I think that, yeah you're, you're, you're well allowed to say that I think and you can see why because when you put like you said when you put that much effort and time into a certain individual there are things that just I mean can you imagine if David Beckham had ever left Adidas because every time you think of Adidas you think about David Beckham and as you said, you know, I, I distinctly remember Andy Cole wearing Reebok boots, same with Giggsy. Mm. And, and I can see why it would hurt after all that time and effort when, when it can, and, it, and I can imagine the negotiations would be sometimes small details, sometimes maybe big, but you, it's more of a friendship you build, isn't it? And that, that personal relationship, so. It's, it's, it certainly was with that level of player. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd spend days with players. I'd spend time away and abroad with them. You know, I went to, I took, Giggsy and Cole to the Champions League final in Rome and we, we missed the, the UEFA car back so we had to walk back 
Because um, <laughs> they, they, they did want to leave the UEFA hospitality suite. Another, another story for another day. But yeah, I, I spent launching the Argentina kit, for instance. How do we launch the Argentina kit? What's the best? Who's the best person to launch the Argentina kit with? Well, of course, it was Gabriel Batistuta. Wow, who yeah, yeah. was a Reebok was a Reebok sponsored player. So that was that was two days in Florence uh, at, at, at Fiorentina Stadium. So all the the pictures you see of Batistuta celebrating a goal, which is obviously for photography reasons, were on the pitch in 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 Florence. And you do build that relationship. And and Batistuta still owes me uh, twenty quid. <laughs> so I beat him. At, I beat him. It hit the crossbar. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so you, it, it's icons like that that. I got close to Dennis Bergkamp's another one. Dennis was Dennis is mm. one of the most professional, nicest blokes I've ever met. You know, you asked him to do something, he'd do it. He was a very private man, but he is still in my eyes one of the you know, one of the greatest Premier League players ever to, to to grace the pitch. But he was always willing to do something. Again, he was a little bit different with his boots. He, he didn't like the the fold over tongue. So if you look at a picture of Dennis Bergkamp, all his, his tongues are cut off at the at the laces. Never no flip over tongue. Never yeah, so he, he, he never wore a, a flip-over tongue. Even though the range that he wore had a flip-over tongue, Dennis didn't. He, he, we had to put a special tongue in there for him. So is there, Glenn, a player that... Normally we ask people, you know, like kind of a, a fantasy scenario. Is is there a player or a particular club, aside from Borough, I guess, for the club, or say, <laughs> do you really wish you could have worked with? Oh, that's, that's a good question. I, I always thought that we... We, we, we should have gone a bit stronger to get the England national team. At the time when Umbro lost it to Nike, it was all about the, the, the big pound, of course it was. But there was a time where it was being touted that England is up, Umbro had it, but we felt that we had a, a right to, to go for it being a British brand, you know, born in yeah. Bolton, traditionally English. We had Union Jack on, on the majority of our products at the time. Yeah, I was um, going to say... Wow, it would have done, yeah. And there was and there was a lot of uproar when Nike were touted about it. This American brand are coming in to get it, and okay, we were we were owned by an American brand at the time then, but we had traditionally English roots, you know. Hmm. Nike didn't, um, and there was the same uproar about a, a certain German company with three stripes going for it. You know, should the England national team be wearing a German brand? Yeah. Um, Mm. And the press got all of that as well. Ultimately, at the end of the day, the pound sign talked for, for Nike. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, Glenn, thinking about pieces of uh, history and but kind of an an, un, an unknown history, is there any other times that you know? I'm a, I'm a big Man United fan, and one of the things that sticks in my mind is that you know the first ever professional shirt Cristiano Ronaldo wore was a Reebok shirt. It was a Reebok. Know, you, yeah. Yeah. You fast forward twenty years, and he's now the greatest goal scorer in football history. And the first shirt he ever wore probably would have been one of your last, you know, one of the last seasons you produced the shirt. But, you know, Ronaldo's first ever shirt was a Reebok shirt. Are there any other kind of um, instances you have where you didn't know what was happening at the time, but it ended up, you know, that's now a huge piece of history as that first kit he ever wore? I don't know about kit, but I can remember I was in, I was in Birmingham and I got the phone call late at night I was at a conference, a Reebok conference down there. I got the phone call late at night from Andy Cole's agent who said he's moving to Manchester United tomorrow. 
and he hasn't got his boots with him. Can you get him some boots? This was 10 o'clock at night. So I saw I managed to whiz in the car, get hold of the security team at, at Reebok UK to let me in to get into the cupboard where Andy's boots were in my office to get them down to Manchester next morning for him. As it turned out, I got three points for speeding through roadworks. <laughs> <laughs> trying, to, trying to get them there. But do you know, interesting enough, the Sporting Lisbon shirt, it only struck me the other week when I saw a picture of Ronaldo in it that he actually, that was his first kit that he would have worn a Reebok one. Yeah. I've got one in my, um, in in a box in the loft somewhere. Sure. <laughs> I've all, you know, the, the Schmeichel playing for Sporting Lisbon as well. That, that was a nice one for me because he, he, he told me he was going there uh, long before it came out in the, in the press. But he was already obviously well established. I suppose Giggs, he's probably our, the greatest one to, to wear our products. But again, we're talking boots kit wise. I can't, I can't find another analogy like that, Scotty. You've, you've, you've nailed me on that one. <laughs> I mean, it's a fantastic. I'll have to come back and have it. It's a fantastic one to have. You're going to struggle to find a better uh, endorser of the products, aren't you, than Cristiano? But we'll wrap it up on that incredible note. Great question, Scott and Glenn. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. And honestly, you're welcome on any time. Stories have been great. Thank you being on. It's, uh, it's, it's a superb podcast. I, re- I love listening to it. Uh, I didn't get a chance to talk about templates, by the way, because I know that's quite a, a, a keen <laughs> subject on here. <laughs> we'll save that for next time. But I'll save that for next time. Cheers. Yeah, thanks, Glenn. That was a thanks, real pleasure. Thanks, Tom. Cheers, Scott. stories. Confessions of a kit man. Confessions. Confessions of a kit man. Confessions of a kit man. So this week's story is all about a pre-season tour that we did a few years back to Spain. This basically shows the relationship between players and kit men. We're coming up to the last day. Uh, it's the last night of where we're staying and everyone's allowed to go out. So the players are out, staff are out, everyone's out. The only rule was be at breakfast at half past eight the next morning because we're training and then we're leaving to come home. So everybody goes out, we all have a great night. Everybody goes back to the place where we were staying, in the villas, everything else. I go to sleep, it's seven o'clock in the morning, phone rings and it's a player, and I'm like, oh, what is happening here? I've answered the phone and I hear, hello mate, I don't know where I am. I've just come out of where we were. I don't know what the time is, but it's light. I think we've gone in there at night time and now it's the morning and I think we're gonna be late. Is there any way you can come and get us? So I'm like, okay, yeah, send me your location and we'll come and get you. So me and Jonah, the other kit man, we get in the van, we drive across and it's just a club in the middle of nowhere. And there's four players sat on the side of the road waiting for us to pick them up. Bundle them all in the van, we drive back, we open the doors and there's only three players. We're like, hang on a minute, there was definitely four. One of them's fallen out. (laughs) It's been a bit of a nightmare. We open the back doors and one of them's asleep, squashed between the two metal tins. Yeah, and so everybody made it in time for breakfast and that was that. And then we came home and then that season we went and won the league. So maybe there's something in it. So this week's Kit Room 101 has been sent in by our mega fan, Steve Shirts. He's always got some great opinions, so let's see what we think. Hi guys, so um, I would like to put into Room 101 today 
putting ex players and retired players names and numbers on the back of current season shirts so for example and i'm sorry about this adrian um and i've seen this one used a lot is getting like totty 10 um on the back of uh current season roma shirt why do it it's gone he's had his time if you want to get a shirt with totty on the back buy from one from when he was playing I've also seen Croy from the back of Ajax shirts. I've seen the Naldo 9 on the back of Inter shirts. Yeah, these guys are legends, but they've got no place on the current season shirt. What they're going to do, stick on the boots, come back on the field and play. No, they're not. Get it in the one one It's got no place on a football shirt. So being the host this week, I've got the privilege of going first in this one. I think it's a pretty easy one for me, to be honest. You don't get the name on a shirt of someone who wasn't at the club when that shirt was worn. For me, it's as simple as that. I'm not going to suddenly get Paul Merson's name on the back of my Borough shirt when we get promoted in the summer. I'm not going to get Janino's shirt on a 1970s Borough shirt. I'm not going to do it because he didn't play for them at the time, wasn't at the club, didn't know who we were. So it's a bit ridiculous, really. I get if you're bringing out a special edition shirt that has got a, a name on it because that's been brought out about that player, I'm thinking Maradona Napoli here, that was brought out for that player to commemorate that player. But getting random names from, like, Tossi, yeah, he was great for Roma, and he's a great player and all that, but he didn't really win that much. He won a, what did he win? A league and a World Cup? Didn't really do it in the Champions League. What, where did Roma finish? Like, third, fourth, fifth most seasons? Should have moved, gone to a big team, won more trophies, then maybe he can get his shirt on other teams, but, you know, I'm not getting Totti on a new Roma shirt, am I? And this is Totti to take the penalty to try and equalise for Roma. And he tries his cheeky little chip and he gets it wrong. You can tell Adrian's not here. It's great. So, yeah, for me, you can't be mixing and matching all this sort of stuff unless it's like a commemorative special edition shirt. The Italian Matt Letizia, I heard, but without the problematic views. Here, here. I agree with you. I think in 99% of cases, most people wouldn't disagree. It just clashes, doesn't it? It's a real mismatch of putting something 20 years out of place. Just to extend what you said, yes, special editions like BFLB, when they released the shirt last year, it was based on sort of an homage to the 90s. So putting Matthias Sammer or Ricken or something kind of makes sense. I would say also where shirts are inspired by a particular area. So we had Inter's third last season was that 97, 98 third, which is always synonymous with Ronaldo. I think I probably wouldn't have blamed anybody for popping Ronaldo on the back of that because again, it's linked in together. So anything where there's an homage to an earlier shirt or a particular year, that, that sort of gets a pass for me. But otherwise, yeah, just clashes horribly. What about you, Tom? Yeah, I, I have to agree that I think this should go into 101 because I think barring the, the very, very odd off chance, it, is, it does kind of ruin a shirt, I think, because just, it's like you said, it's a complete clash. I'm just trying to think through my own collection. I think the only shirt I have like that, I have um, after watching the Netflix Maradona in Mexico series, I bought a Dorado shirt from when he was there and that has his name on the back, a Maradona name set, but... I mean, he was there as a manager, and I think he actually was unveiled with that shirt. So I guess there's a caveat with that. But other than that, I can't, I'm struggling to think of a time when I would get one. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm in full agreement, really. It has to go in 101 because, yeah, you're, you're ruining the shirt. 
I am afraid I have a confession to make, which is obviously a deep rooted, deep held memory that, that has just surfaced. I have one of these shirts. So I have an original Gay Commendietta shirt, Valencia one from 2000, 2002. And also when I went there in 2017, there was a nice away shirt and I got Mendieta and Six on the back. And I remember the look of surprise, maybe disgust on the shop employee's face. So I am guilty (laughs) fully of this crime. I also like to be taken into consideration that I have a Millwall shirt from the early 2000s with Cherno Samba's name and number nine on the back. Worse than that is a full kit as a result of his exploits on Championship Manager 0102 for me. So... I've admitted to my crimes and I hope I can plead for your forgiveness. Alex, it's been nice to uh, know you and have you involved with Kit Mac, but um, today is the 3rd of April 2022 and I think your work with us here ceases. Last appearance. I mean, <laughs> Cherno Samba though, what a legend. Did he score about a million goals in the youth team and he was class on champ man as well? Yeah, I think 12 European Cups, uh, 200 yeah. caps for England, a couple yeah. of World Cups, yeah. Is that worse than a, a player out of time, though? Having, although I suppose he did play for Millwall, didn't he? So he didn't actually play for the full first team. I don't think he ever made an appearance, unfortunately. I'm sure you could dig out a, a photo of him in a youth competition wearing number nine. So I think I think that's okay. If he was a region, that would be something slightly different. But. Oh, so not to go fun. not not to go off too too much off topic. I'm sorry, but I have to I have to say this. So I've got a mate who had a regen, and I'm not going to say the name, but he had a regen that was incredible for him. And when he had his first child, he named them after the first name of the regen. It wasn't an extraordinary name. There's not a kid walking around South Manchester called Romaldinho or something. But yeah, that, that was quite an extreme commitment. Oh, that is genius. That would be an interesting one, that actually, to see if anybody's got any... Um regens on their shirts because you do get attached there's a book called uh, football manager saved my life and cherno samba does an interview in that and tonton zola mccoco's in it as well i think and those sorts of players i wonder if anyone actually has any of those out there either because they thought they were going to be good at the time i suppose now those younger players get publicized a lot more don't they because we've got bigger subspensions so they end up being like like ninth on like anthony alanga like ninth on the subspens or whatever don't they're never going to make it because they're not very good but before it used to be like two subs, didn't it? Or three subs, so that you never sort of got to know those youth team names. So, yeah, send us in your uh, terrible shirts with regen names. But the final thing on this 101, I think, in 10 years' time or 20 years' time, they'll just be ruined shirts, won't they? Because if any of these are sort of classics, you'll think, oh, I would have bought that Inter Milan shirt, but it's got Ronaldo 10 on and he, I'm sure he played 10 years or 20 years before that. So I think, yeah, I think it gets into dicey territory when you're in that sort of stuff. Would you say that there's an exception, for, again, for those ones that we've said that are inspired by it? So if you had this Inter Milan third from last year and it had Ronaldo and his number on it, would that be exempt? Would that still be valuable? Or do you think that would go in the same with something else less fortunate? See, I think that Inter third that you're talking about, I think, yes, yeah, have Ronaldo on it. I, I don't know. It's something It's something in that frazzles my brain. But where I can see a place for it is, you know, with the Ajax shirts this year, the retro-inspired Ajax shirts, and they've got the retro name um, name and number. I know the number 14 is retired, the Ajax, as a number, but if you had that on the back of that shirt, I think that would be great. The retro, you know, the retro look and the retro number, but it doesn't have 
the name Cruyff attached to it. I think that's passable. But I, I, yeah, I still would want to put the Ronaldo into thirds in, in, in 101, I think. And just going on to that, a couple of years ago, like you were saying, Alex, I, I went to Palmer and I went to get a Palmer shirt, a current season Palmer shirt, and I wanted Crespo on the back and they refused in the club shop. So if they refused me, then we have to put this in 101 because that's an official club stance. It's not allowed. Kit Magpod, officially sponsored by Palmer. All opinions and views are linked to that club in Syria. So see you next week, guys. So thank you for listening this week. I think a lot of you will probably agree with our 101, but if you don't, leave your comments underneath our thread on Monday morning when the pod goes live. Do continue to like and share our content. We really enjoy making it. We love being involved with KitMag. We love just being involved within the community. So keep retweeting us. If you can rate us on uh, podcast providers, it just means that we know that we're doing a decent job. And if you do want to see anything else on the pod, just drop us a DM and we'll see what we can do. See you next week.